Good morning. Well, my name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Well, good morning. Uh, can we give a hand to the worship band? Man, that was awesome this morning. Thank you, guys. If that left you wanting a little more, come back on Thursday, right here to this place, and we'll have childcare for uh, infants and toddlers, and we'll be worshiping in here, and that'll be on Thursday. Well, we've been in this series all summer called Summer Playlist, where we've been going through the book of the Psalms, and we've picked about 10, 12 Psalms that we have been covering over this last couple weeks. Uh, Today, we're diving into Psalm 145 as we wrap up our series on the Summer Playlist. Uh, Maybe this is your first time in church today. Maybe you're new to church. Or maybe Mosaic is the only church you've ever attended. But if you didn't know, not every church meets in an elementary school gymnasium. Do you know that? (laughs) Not every church has big rock band and the screens and the lights and stuff. Um, Growing up, I actually experienced a lot of different kinds of church and worship services. And what I noticed is that churches seem to have kind of two main elements. There's usually the teaching portion, the, the preaching, and then the musical worship. And it seemed like, you know, at different churches I visited, the teaching was honestly kind of the same. At least as a kid, it seemed like it. But the worship, the music, man, that was so different. So I grew up um, sometimes going back to my grandparents' Methodist church and seeing, you know, the hymnals there. I actually went to a middle school, a Lutheran middle school, a fundamentalist Baptist high school that actually believed drums were of the devil, so that was from the devil. Uh, And then uh, I attended with my family a small Pentecostal charismatic church right here in Maple Grove. And on top of that, if that wasn't enough variety, in college, I actually worked for the Basilica, downtown Minneapolis, a 100-year-old Catholic church for a little while. They contacted me and wanted to kind of update their youth mass. So I did that for about a year. And so you could say, man, I had a diverse experience of different worship experiences. And at all those churches, man, I found people who were loving God, who were responding to the greatness and the glory of God you know, through those different musical expressions. And there were people there at all those churches that seemed like they were just going through the motions as well. You have some people in in those environments that were just worshiping and responding. Some people just kind of, you know, they were just there checking off their spiritual to-do list. You know, at my grandparents' Lutheran church where where he grew up and where my parents got married, you know, people sung these ancient hymns with such passion and enthusiasm. At my fundamentalist Baptist high school, we'd do a weekly chapel, usually accompanied by a piano or maybe acoustic guitar, usually hymns. If we were lucky, maybe we got a camp song thrown in. However, if you showed up at my small, charismatic Pentecostal church on a Sunday morning, you'd pretty quickly realize this is going to be different than maybe what you hadn't experienced before. Well, first, before church started, you'd probably observe some of the serious worshipers standing there stretching. Because they're like, all right, we're going to get this on. And they're getting ready. They're stretching. You might even see someone unfurl their banners, checking, you know, to make sure I got my anointing oil. Yep, I'm good to go. Uh, And so pretty quickly you'd realize, man, this is going to be different, maybe awesome, maybe a little bit scary. And, you know, you you wouldn't know exactly what you're going to expect. You know, as the band kicked things off, you hear people singing loudly passionately, people maybe a little dancing for the Lord, people with their hands up before God. And maybe if you're lucky or unlucky, you might even see someone break out the tambourine. It always depends if they have rhythm or not, right? Here at Mosaic, we actually have ushers that if you bring a tambourine to church, we will escort you out. Uh, 
So what has been your experience with, with churches and worship and music? Maybe you grew up in a small country church with, with hymnals. Maybe like me, you grew up in a small, medium-sized, Pentecostal, charismatic church. Maybe you grew up in a non-denominational church that was kind of in between. Maybe you grew up, maybe you attended before Mosaic, a blended church that tried to do the traditional and the contemporary together, and instead what you did was you just made nobody happy. (laughs) The truth is we've all had different experiences when it comes to, to worship, to music, and the truth is also we all have different preferences when it comes to how we do church and and worship and how we should corporately worship God. Some of you guys love it, I know, when Jordan's up here and we're doing like the dance pop, he'll sing Young and Free stuff in the loops, and you guys love that. Sometimes you love it when we just break it down to acoustic guitar, and it's, oh, I love the acoustic guitar. Or when we go a little more gospel this morning. How many of you guys liked a little more gospel feel this morning? Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, Man, that was fun. Uh, Well, this morning you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's fine, Eric, they all have different preferences, we're all different experiences. But what does God's word, what does the Bible say about how should we worship God? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's why we're here this morning. Uh, before we dive into God's word, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together to just proclaim that you are good uh, in spite of the situation we find ourselves in, despite the chaos of life and everything going on and uncertainty. God, you are not uncertain, and you still have the whole world in your hands. So God, we proclaim this morning, you are good, and we thank you that you come here and you are here this morning to meet with us. So God, I pray that as I speak, God, this would be your words, that the words in my mouth, meditation in my heart would be pleasing before your sight, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Well, here at Mosaic on Sunday and every other Sunday, we open our Bibles, and we don't come to just learn some principles on how to live a better life, just not how to have, be healthier and wealthier and wiser. We come to know better the person and to love the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? When we open our Bibles, we're not just looking for knowledge. We're looking to meet with our Savior. Amen? We're not just looking at how to obey the rules. We're looking at how to grow in our relationship with the one who so loves us. So that today we're going to be opening God's word and exploring not just some knowledge, but to say, God, how can I fall in love with you more? How can I know you more? Not just to obey the rules, but to grow in my relationship with you. Well, I think the, the, the main question we need to ask is, why do we worship? Why do we come together? Why is it important that we gather together on a Sunday morning? Why do we do this? Because if you don't know the why of why we do this, then when you find a better why in your life, you're going to give up going to church altogether. If you don't know the why of why we corporately gather, then you'll think, ah, you know, listen to a podcast of the sermon, that's just as good as coming together with God's people. If we don't understand the why, we'll never truly get the what or the how. So there's a couple options on why do we worship? Why do we do church? Option number one, and this is what most churches thought for the last hundred years or so. Number one is that the church is for saints. The church is for saints. You can write that down. Most churches thought it's for the saints, to equip the saints, to protect the saints from all the world that's out there that's evil. You know, and, and, and what happened a lot of times is that as churches, if they say it's all about just us, what will happen is we'll become insular and protected and we can easily forget the Great Commission. And what happens is that 
groups of saints get together and they say, well, let's never be in the world at all. Let's do a school and let's just huddle up and we'll do a commune, just all living together and we don't want to see anyone else. And we lose sight of, Jesus said, go to all the world, makes disciples. And so if we think the church is just for the saints, well, we'll lose sight of, of our mission. So then what happened in the 80s and the early 90s? There are a group of pastors, um, particularly uh, in Chicago and California, others that said, you know what? Church isn't just about the saints. Church is for the seekers. You write that down. Option number two, church is for the seekers. They said, well, you know, we're not going to do church for us. We're going to do it for all the people that are seeking God. And so we're going to just focus everything on reaching people. And so churches started giving away cars and started doing, you know, dramas and, and upping their game and having better lights and videos. And they said, you know, we're, we're focused on reaching those who are far from God and we want to seek them. And so everything we do is for the seeker. But see, when your why is just that church is for only for the seekers, you try to be like the world to reach the world. And sometimes you can throw out holiness. You can throw out God's word. You can say, you know what? We're not going to really go deep into God's word. We're just going to throw a couple of principles out there to help people have a better marriage, better friendships, better finances, better work environments. And I've been a part of churches that would even say like, hey, you know, we, we don't want to ever show a picture or a video of someone worshiping with their hands up because that might freak out a seeker. So let's not do anything to upset someone. And then you lose sight of, of kind of why are we truly doing this? It's not for the seekers. It's not just for the saints. So option number three is church is for God. Church is for God. See, you and I were made to give God glory. We're made to give the weight of who we are to him to respond to the greatness and the glory of God and say, man, that is why we are here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, the seekers, the saints, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7, God is saying this. He says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We were made to give God glory. We were made to point to our creator. So we do church for God. We do church, seekers, saints, sinners, those who are just questioning and wondering. We all come together in a safe environment to hear the dangerous message of a God who is so reckless with his love that he left heaven to die on a cross for you and me. And we say, man, this message is for both seekers and saints. We are here to glorify God. That is why we come together. So who do we worship? Okay, we know why we come together. We're made to give God glory. So who is this God? Well, Psalm 145 dives into that and gives us, gives us some good clues on this God that we worship. 
Here's your little-known Bible fact for you Bible junkies. I know those of you who are growing up uh, in church, you love those little tidbits. And uh, in the original Hebrew of Psalm 145, it's actually an acrostic where each phrase starts with a different letter of the Hebrew Bible. Because we don't read Hebrew, any of us, I think, uh, we kind of miss out on that. But that's what David is doing when he wrote this psalm, uh, is that each line begins with a different letter of the Hebrew letter, which is pretty cool. And then for you grammar nerds, you might have noticed when we were listening to the, the reading of God's word, that this kind of switched from third person plural to first person singular. And it can be a little disorienting at first, and something you're not supposed to do when you're writing, but I think it's quite possible that David intended this to be a way to weave his individual voice of praise with the community's voice of praise. See, here's what I think it's so good for us to remember that so often we're so quick to forget is that there is individual prayer and there is corporate prayer. There is individual praise and corporate praise, individual Bible study, corporate Bible study, and we need them both. We need to spend time individually praying, reading God's word, and we need time corporately to come together, to hear God's word, to pray together, to worship together. And as Americans, we tend to downplay our need for community, for communal worship, for communal prayer. So we come together to worship God. So who is this God that we are created to give glory to? Number two, number one, we see God is compassionate. God is compassionate. Psalm 145, verse eight through nine, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. If you remember, we've talked that the defining moment of the Old Testament is, is really when God leads the people of Israel out of bondage and slavery and says, you are my people. I'm bringing you out of slavery into freedom. They're saved under the blood of the lamb. They pass through the Red Sea and the waters. And as God is revealing the right way to live and say, here's a way to follow in my footsteps, and, and, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, Moses says, show me your glory. Moses knows I'm here to give you glory. And how does God respond? In Exodus 34, 6, it says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. David is remembering that story and he's quoting that of what God says about himself. God says, I am slow to anger. Maybe some of you grew up with an image of God that he's just waiting in heaven like Thor or Odin ready to smite us if we mess up. But God says, I am slow to anger. I am rich in love. You need to know God is compassionate. God isn't looking at you and seeing all your failures and your flaws. God looks at you with love, with compassion. Number two, we see that God is king. Verse 10 through 13, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. David here says the word kingdom four times. Here's another awesome tidbit for you Bible nerds. We said that each letter of each phrase is a different letter of the Hebrew Bible, where David used the Hebrew letters K, L, and M to talk about God's kingdom. And when you read those backwards, which is how you read Hebrew, they actually spell the word malek 
or which is Hebrew for king. So it actually uses the letters for king to talk about God's kingdom. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I'm a songwriter, and so I, I appreciate good songwriting. David, he's just the bomb. He's the best. See, God is compassionate. God is king. And number three, God is provider. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up those who are bowed down. I love that phrase, all who are following. That's unusually expressive. If this morning you feel like you're failing and you feel like you're falling, God wants to lift you up. God wants to encourage you. God wants to know that you are not alone. David wants to revive our lost hopes. Verse 15, the eyes of all who look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. If God is so good to his creation, he fulfills all the needs of creation, how much more will he satisfy the desires and longings of us, his covenant people who he loves so much? Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. In this long psalm where David is talking about life and God and why we are here, just one little phrase about the wicked. Just one little phrase. You might think, David, you're being kind of naive here. Why don't you talk more about how messed up and broken this world is and how everything is, is failing? But I think it's David's experience rather than his inexperience that enables him to write as he does. He's been reoriented to see God in creation and discovered on the far side of trial and sufferings that in the end, this is how the world is. Yes, there's much evil and suffering in the world, but taking the long view, a single half verse, but all the wicked he will destroy, is all that that will amount to in the end. If you've read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, which is nothing about divorce, it's about heaven and hell, we see that the vastness of hell becomes an infinitesimal speck down a tiny crack in the ground between two blades of grass when seen from the standpoint of the ultimate view of heaven. That ultimately, heaven is just, hell is just a tiny little scratch, little dot compared to the vastness of God and his glory. So that's the God that we worship, a compassionate king who provides for and helps all who call upon him. So why are we here? We're here to glorify God. Who is this God that we're here to glorify? A compassionate king who will provide for us, who will uphold us when we are falling, when we are failing, who's rich in love. So how do we respond to this great God? Well, when it comes to worship, I think we need to acknowledge we all have different experiences and different preferences, and that's okay. First, I want us to understand that simple does not equal authentic. Sometimes I think we get this idea that the more simple something is, well, it must be authentic. But the reality is I've seen people lead worship from acoustic guitar completely inauthentic. It's all about them. I've seen full production and bands where it's all about God and his glory. And the reality is churches are all over the spectrum between fog and laser lights and maybe the pastor is swinging in from the ceiling on a bungee cord. I don't know. But we need to understand, though, that just because something isn't simple doesn't mean it's inauthentic. We need to pray and say, God, 
Are, are we doing this for you and your glory or for us? So whether that's just one person stripped down to acoustic guitar or whether it's a full band or whatever it might be, we want to say, we're doing this for God's glory. We want to be authentic in that, however that looks. Second, I want us to understand that music does not equal worship. Music doesn't equal worship. Music can be used as a platform for worship, but worship is more than just music. Historically, ours is a singing faith, and this is what God's people have done for thousands of years. Ancient Jewish people would come together and sing. The church, when it got started, they'd sing, and so people have come together to sing. So worship is more than just music. Worship is also painting. Worship is songwriting. Worship is serving others. Worship is responding to the greatness and the glory of God. Preaching is worship. Whether it's me or someone else in our teaching team, when we're up here preaching, we're actually worship leaders. You know that? Our goal is not to just give you some information. Our goal is that your thoughts and your affections will be turned towards Jesus and his glory. You know, maybe if any time during when I'm up here preaching, or Rihanna, or Jeremy, or Nate, or Brian, and you think, man, God is so good, God is so loving, what is happening is worship. There's so much transformative power in turning your thoughts and affections towards Jesus. So as your pastor, I want to encourage you that every Sunday as we gather to give God glory, that you come expecting transformation. You come expecting that miracles can happen here in this elementary gymnasium, amen? Amen. That change can occur, that you can expect healing, that miracles can happen, that supernatural can happen here in our community of faith. We come expecting God, he will be here, and he will meet with us. And sometimes we get a little loud in here. Can I get an amen? I want you to know we we don't get loud for the sake of loudness. We get loud because we're passionate. And the reality is I know you're going to sing a little louder when it's a little louder inside here, okay? So sometimes we might get a little loud. Sometimes we make it get a little quiet, but it's because we love Jesus. That's why we might get a little loud, a little passionate. So what does Psalm 145 say about how we're supposed to worship? Well, number one, we're supposed to declare to one another, to declare to one another. In verse four, it says, one generation shall commend your work to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The New Living Translation says this way, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. We need to preach to each other about the power and the presence of God. We need to tell each other, man, yeah, I got this bad diagnosis, but you know what? God is so good and he's been working through the doctors and you know what? I'm cancer free. We're declaring the goodness of God. We need to say, you know what? My son or my daughter has been wandering far from God, but we've been praying and now they're coming back. Well, let's give God glory. We declare to one another what God is doing in us and through us. And this also includes teaching our children about what God has done and what he's doing right here. Here's what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And what we need to understand in a culture like this, those commandments are not just to you as a parent to tell your kids. We are part of a community. It takes a village. We are to declare the goodness and the glory of God to each other's kids, to each other. So I want you to know that when you are back in Mosaic Kids and you are serving other people's children, 
and you are telling children about the goodness and the glory of God, you are worshiping just as much as when you're in here singing. Amen? Amen? That's right. I was waiting for that from Beth. I want to give you the challenge. If your primary experience of relating to Mosaic has been walking in and sitting in a chair, that's awesome. But I want to encourage you to be stretched. Because here's the truth. The strength is in the stretch. We don't get any stronger by doing what we know what we can do. And so maybe you're thinking about, I don't want to serve. What's going to happen back there? Are they going to lock me in a room with a bunch of toddlers? Like, no, we promise. Like, you won't be alone in there. We'll make sure someone else is in there with you. We promise. Like, we're not going to just throw you to the wolves. Like, we will teach you. We will have, you know, video curriculum in there for you that you can, you know, watch. Like, Beth and Pastor Nate, they will help you out. So I encourage you, maybe if you've been coming and you've been sitting, and maybe you're not a parent, maybe your kids are grown up, the strength is in the stretch. Stretch yourself. Declare to the children. Because the truth is, like, we are all going to live in their future someday. They are the future doctors, lawyers, and teachers, and nurses, politicians. Someday when we are old and gray and sitting in nursing homes, they are the ones that are going to be determining how we are going to experience life. And so we want to invest in the children, amen? We want to pour into them. We want to stretch ourselves to declare what God is doing. Number two. We can meditate on the majesty and the works of God. Meditate on the works of God. Verse five, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. We talked last summer a little about meditation. I just want to go real quick through that. You see, Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty your mind. And so sometimes Christians get a little freaked out when they hear the word meditation, but here it is. It's in scripture. It's in the Psalms. Christian meditation is an attempt to fill your mind. Eastern meditation, empty Christian, fill. Biblical ideas of meditation. Real quick, if you want to write them down. Number one, reading God's word. Number two, reflecting on God's work. Number three, rehearsing God's deeds. Reading God's word, spending time getting to know the story of God, reflecting on the way God has worked in the past, how he's continued to work in your life. Rehearsing by, through communion, through baptism. And in each case, they're stressed upon changed behavior as a result of the encounter with the living God. Christian meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey his word. That's the key there. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus, not with the intent just to learn, but to obey. It's saying, God, teach me your ways so that I can obey. Some of us, myself included, are educated way beyond our level of obedience. And we know more than we obey. And so the goal of reflecting on Jesus and his word is to say, God, teach me your ways so I can reflect on my life to know how to change so I can obey what you're asking me to do. And here's the deal. We learn to meditate by meditating. I know, super deep, right? Like, if you're not good at it, and that's okay. Like, I struggle with this too. Just start it. Just start doing it. Sit quietly. And one thing I've learned, and we talk about this a little bit, is... You know, our, our bodies are connected, our, our, our physical, our mental, our spiritual, our social. And so what has helped me to meditate? Um, honestly, I like to work out at Lifetime, and then I, I go meditate in the steam room. That's just where I find the easiest place to meditate. And, uh, but I'll use my hands, and I will palms down to say I'm open. I'm letting go of these things. I'm letting go of these fears, these worries. I'm letting go of stress. I'm letting go of all the things that I don't want to hold on to anymore, God. And then I palm up and say, God, okay. I'm reflecting on you. Help me receive from you what I need. What do I need right now? Do I need your wisdom? Do I need your love, your grace, your peace? 
In what ways do I need to obey you in something you've been asking me to do? So I encourage you, maybe that'll help you. Palms down, let go, palms up to receive. Number three, we sing loudly and boldly. We sing loudly and boldly. Verse seven, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. See, here's the deal. When you understand your why, that we're coming together, seekers, sinners, saints, to glorify God, it'll change your why. It'll change how you worship. I want to show a little video clip of someone whose why changed, and you can see it in how they sing, how they worship. Uh, go ahead, Chris, if we got that clip, you can go ahead and run that. I was there doing stand-up, and I said to myself, you know what? It's break time. For those that don't know, Michael Jr.'s break time is exactly that. In the middle of my stand-up comedy, I stop doing it, sit down, and just kick it with the people. Check it out. Just some random dude. I don't even know who he is. We just start kicking it, and look what happens. Let me talk to the brother right there. Yeah, yeah. What's your name, bro? Daryl. I'm gonna need you to slow down with all that, bro. <laughs> For real, you're scaring the white people. You can't do that, girl. I'm sorry, bro. You're scaring me too, though. <laughs> wow. Well, what do you do for a living, Daryl? I work at Oak Ridge Military Academy. I'm the music director there. Musical director at Oak Ridge Musical Academy. Okay. Yeah. But you got a deep voice, man. I would not want to get you mad. Jonathan, come here. You're like, oh, snap. Nine Jonathan show up. It's amazing, dude. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me hear. We didn't plan this. Just so y'all know, we didn't we didn't plan this at all. I'm just randomly talking. To, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That bro could sing, you know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick, if you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing. Oh, 
That is awesome. See, when you know your why, it'll change how you worship. Here's the truth. Some of you, you're coming in, and you're singing like he first sang. Amazing grace, God is so good. You know? What we need a little more is that second part. Amen? We need to understand, when we know God is so good, he is rich in love. Man, he loves us. We're here to give him glory. And he does not look at us with anger, but he's welcoming us, and he provides for all our needs. Man, that will change how we sing. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not giving up. We are not going to give up, amen? We're not going to give up meeting together. We're not going to give up believing that people can find salvation, amen? We're not going to give up believing that marriages that are heading towards divorce can be saved, We're not going to give up believing in healing, in the power of God, that we are here to give him glory, that we are here to strengthen each other. Amen? We are not going to give up. See, when you get in the presence of God and around the people of God, that is when things change. There is a difference in gathering with the people of God rather than just on your own. We need each other. And so we are not going to give up. Amen? There's so many things that can only be experienced when you gather with other followers of Jesus. See, the truth is, the enemy, and we have an enemy, and the enemy hates you, and the enemy hates it when you worship. He doesn't mind so much when you worship that first way, but when you believe it, when you are singing it, when you understand your why, the enemy hates that. The enemy hates it when you grab your Psalms devotional and you're diving into God's word and you are journaling and you're writing out your prayers. The enemy hates that. And so the enemy is going to find any excuse it can to get you from diving into God's word. The enemy hates it when, he's, when you serve back in Mosaic Kids. The enemy does not want us to be investing in the next generation. But we are not going to give up. Amen? We are not going to give up. Uh, as I close, we're going to try something. I don't know how this is going to work, so forgive me if it fails horribly. Let's well, have everyone stand. And I want everyone to grab the hand of your neighbor across the aisles. We're going to come together. Maybe if you're sitting next to a sweater, wipe off your hands. <laughs> See, there is power in coming together. There is power in singing together. I read this book this summer. It's called Make Your Bed. I think my, my wife said it out on my nightstand. I think it was a hint. <laughs> but it's really good. It's about this admiral who uh, was in charge of all the SEAL teams. And he gave his commencement speech. And as far as I know, he's not a believer. But he shares some amazing women. Wisdom. Not women. Wisdom. <laughs> there are some amazing w- women. See, I'm thinking about my wife and the nightstand. He shares a story about going through training to be a, a SEAL, a Navy SEAL. He says, the night wind coming off the ocean was gusting to 20 miles an hour. There was no moon out and an evening layer of low clouds obscured the stars. I was sitting in chest deep mud covered from head to toe with a layer of grime, my vision blurred by the caked on clay. I could see only the outline of my fellow students lined up in the pit beside me. It was Wednesday of hell week and my SEAL training class was down in the infamous Tijuana mudflats. 
His morale was declining rapidly. It was only Wednesday, and we all knew that another three days of pain and exhaustion lay ahead. This was the moment of truth for a lot of the students. Shaking uncontrollably with hands and feet swollen from nonstop use and skin so tender that even the slightest movement brought discomfort, our hope for completing the training was fading fast. Silhouetted against the distant lights of the city, a SEAL instructor walking purposely towards the edge of the mudflats. Sounding like an old friend, he softly talked into a bullhorn and offered comfort to the suffering trainees. We could join him and the other instructors by the fire, he said. He had hot coffee and chicken soup. We could relax until the sun came up. Get off our feet, take it easy. I could sense that some of the students were ready to accept his offer. After how, oh, how much longer could we survive in the mud? A warm fire, hot coffee and chicken soup sure sounded good. But then came the catch. All he needed was for five of us to quit. Just five quitters and the rest of the class could have some relief from the pain. We have an enemy who's gonna whisper, come to where it's easy. Just leave a few people behind. The student beside me started to move towards the instructor. I grabbed his arm and held him tight, but the urge to leave the mud was too great. He broke free of my grasp and began to lunge for dry ground. I could see the instructor smiling. He knew that once one man quit, others would follow. Suddenly, above the howl of the wind came a voice singing. These are Navy SEALs. It was tired and raspy, but loud enough to be heard by all. The lyrics were not meant for tender ears, but everyone knew the tune. One voice became two, and two became three, and then before long, everyone was singing. The student rushing for the dry ground turned around and came back to me. Looping his arm around mine, he began to sing as well. The instructor grabbed the bullhorn and shouted for the class to quit singing. No one did. He yelled to the class, the class leader to get control of the trainees. The singer, singing continued. Which e with each threat from the instructor, the voices got louder, the class got stronger, and the will to continue on in the face of adversity became unbreakable. In the darkness, with a fire reflecting on the face of the instructor, I could see him smile. Once again, we had learned an important lesson. The power of one person to unite the group. The power of one person to inspire those around him. To give them hope. If that one person could sing, while neck deep in mud, then so could we. If that one person could endure the freezing cold, then so could we. If that one person could hold on, then so could we. Hope is the most powerful force in the universe. With hope, you can inspire nations to greatness. With hope, you can raise up the downtrodden. With hope, you can ease the pain of unbearable loss. Sometimes all it takes is one person to make a difference. We will all find ourselves neck deep in mud someday. That is the time to sing loudly, to smile broadly, to lift up those around you and give them hope that tomorrow will be a better day. Why do we come together? Why do we sing? Why is my hope that you don't stay in the lobby during the singing time? Because when you lift your voice, you are giving hope to your neighbor. You don't know what kind of mud they are in. So we will not give up. We will give hope to each other. We will inspire one another. There's power in coming together and singing together. 
We're going to close by singing an old song. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, so this is where I don't know how this is going to go. We're going to sing the doxology. You may not know, but the word doxo means glory. We are created to give God glory. The other half of that word is from Logos, the word. It's glory speaking. We were made to speak and praise the glory of God. And so we're going to lift our hands. And when I give the cue, we're going to lift our hands together. All right? We're going to keep them down. And at the end, we're going to lift them up. All right? Let's try this. All right, give me a G there, uh, Curtis. Let's try this. Uh, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Here we go. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Receive the benediction. God, we thank you that you are good and gracious and you love us. So God, we will not give up. We will not turn our backs on each other. God, we pray that this week that you would fill us, you would strengthen us, you would encourage us. God, we thank you that we can give hope to one another. In your name we pray, amen. Have a great week. Give someone a hug on your way out. We'll see you next Sunday.